Good morning. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Uh, those of you who are not watching the soccer game, I know. Uh, or maybe you've got the soccer game down. Either way, if you're listening, thanks for joining us. 580-5436-580-KIDO. That's our number. We'd love to visit with you. You know, it, it's amazing how, how, how silly these things are, right? We, uh, did you know that the Dow is now in a bull market? <laughs> Just like, really? Okay. Sure. Feels like it. Huh? Well, that's because we arbitrarily measure things as in 20% batches. So we're more than 20% down. Now we're only down 5% year to date, meaning we've come back 20%. yippee it's a bull market. Or maybe not. I don't know. Most certainly the NASDAQ, tech heavy. Nor the S&P 500 is in a bull market. Both are still off a lot. The NASDAQ is off almost 27% year-to-date alone. So it is kind of one of those things. I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but it's one of those funny things we measure or try to in so many different ways. How's the market doing? Let me see. What do you mean? Would that be small cap stocks? Or do you mean big guys? Do you mean the Dow Jones Industrial? Do you mean tech stocks? I mean the whole market. Well, the whole market is rather difficult to measure, on a, but we do measure the entire market. You could call it the New York Stock Exchange Composite Index. But what if it was weighted by capitalization? Well, then it would just be dominated like every under, other index is by Apple and Google and Amazon, etc. You get the point. It's hard to measure. And, and when we think about this more and more, because people always have to have a measurement, it's, it's how we think, you know, how am I doing? Well, what do you mean? How, how are you doing? Well, compared to the market, how are we doing? Well, but you're not the market. You're, maybe you're 75 years old and want to take cost of living adjusted income all the days of your life, no matter how long you live. What does that have to do with the S&P 500? Well, aren't I buying some stocks? Yeah. So how am I doing? You probably are buying some income-producing things, and maybe not just stocks. And so it's hard to measure, but it's an important point because we always fight that. And I don't mean we like, boy, at Petso Financial, we're fighting all the time, trying to get clients to pay attention to the right things. Well, we are. But so are all of us. All of us do. We're watching the wrong stuff all the time. All the time. I talked about this with Kevin on uh, uh, Monday. Yeah, just you know, replayed moments ago. How the market was on Monday morning before it opened was all upset because the Chinese were saying we don't want to be locked down anymore. We don't like this lockdown stuff, <clears throat> which doesn't make any sense to anybody in the world, except apparently to, to the Chinese leaders. I mean, literally, like nobody thinks this is a good idea. Nobody, except for the leadership in China. And it simply isn't working. I mean, it just it destroys their economy, makes their people very un- unhappy, apparently, and they just are tired of being locked away. And it certainly does not stop the virus at all. They're the only ones seeming to have an ongoing problem now. 
yeah, I know it's still out there. Yes, I know it's still alive. Yes, I know my two daughters both had COVID last week, and they're fine. Thank you. Um, I also know people who have really bad flu this year, too. It's tough when we've politicized this so bad. But anyway, enough of that. Just let's go with the China example. Nobody thinks it's a good idea except China. And it's hurting the global economy because China's a big part of the global economy and a big part of manufacturing, particularly in tech world. Particularly there. But we're supposed to be upset because the people there want to go out and open up the economy again. Why would that be upsetting to the U.S. stock market? I, I don't know. I literally don't know why that would be. Like, it's the opposite. We want China to open up if we're thinking purely economically. Now, if we're thinking about the, you know, the whole globe and, and world peace, we would like to see China just disintegrate into nothing. Of course we would. But when it comes to the markets, it's, well, of course we want it to open up. That's a no-brainer. But in the rush to always have a reason for things, we, we, we just tag a label on it. And everybody runs around and says, hey, this is the reason why this is happening. By doing that and constantly labeling things, it just creates great confusion. And, and lots and lots of jobs for market commentators. <clears throat> lots of them. We have jobs, no matter if we're right or we're wrong. I mean, J.P. Morgan has been as wrong as anybody. They're a whole economics team. Right? I mean, just like super wrong. And they probably have one of the most famous global strategists, David Kelly. I don't remember the last time he's been right about the economy at all. I mean, that's what they're supposed to get right because they're smart. They got all the data, got all the spreadsheets, got all the people, all the big thinkers. They're not right. I think El Arian is probably the only one who's better at being getting on TV than David Kelly and never being right. And never really saying anything, never taking much of a stance of anything at all. It's interesting because we just parade people all the time and ask them what they think the market's going to do. And then we put our finger up every single day. Why is the market doing this? Oh, it's because there's the people in China want to go back to work. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It actually is. So we go around measuring things that don't make sense. It may, we, we, we explain the market in ways that don't really make sense. Oil prices up, stock market down. Oil prices up, stock market up. That's the reason why. But the, it's the opposite. I know, but that's okay. Got to know why. When the reality is we, most of the time the market isn't doing anything because of some news item. I mean, the thing that we were all upset about uh, lasted all week, and the U.S. stocks were up for the week. 
I mean, suddenly the reason why on Monday is not the reason on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or even Monday afternoon because it never was a reason. And, 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 we, and we do this by, 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 again, if we're measuring incorrectly what our objective is, cost of living, adjusted income, all the days of our life, no matter how long I live, for example, versus the S&P 500 today, which is, gi- which is driven by giant non-dividend-paying tech stocks, or very low-dividend-paying tech stocks. Oh, okay. Well, what are we measuring? So it becomes, how am I doing becomes really the question we all ought to be asking ourselves. How am I doing is, is, is really everything. How am I doing with what I've been given, the gifts I've been given, the talents that I've been given? How am I doing? Not how am I doing as a male human being relative to Jeffrey Dahmer? I'm doing really good. I'm like a rock star. I'm so good compared to Jeffrey Dunn. It's kind of like that when we think about that, when people ask the same question too. How, How am I doing? I'm 55. How am I doing compared to other people for my retirement savings? We have this measurement all the time. It's like, well, I... Honestly, I don't know what the average is. I mean, I could could know. You can Google it. There'd be 10,000 times out there. Fidelity did a study. This for, There's studies all over the place where at 50, you should have or you do have, the average person has. Okay. Well, if the average person is failing, which they are, in their own retirement savings, why do I want to know I have a dollar more than failure? I, I don't. And, and And what my retirement looks like is probably not like the guy in New York City if I'm living in Boise or if I'm living in Alabama or if all I want to do is fish and hunt. How many guns can I buy? I'm done buying guns. I'm going to need some ammo, but how many lures do I need? You see what I'm saying? Or if I want to travel the world, it's a different ballgame. So every person has an independent thing that they should be measuring. But we do it anyway in everything. But what happens, too, in finance is when we're not asking the right question, it leads us down the wrong path. What I mean by that is if our objective is income, that should be the focus, not how am I doing compared to the S&P 500, which has, doesn't own any, any bonds, is heavily weighted by technology that pays little or no dividend, and also has many different stocks in there that have no dividends at all. Not just tech companies. And that's what we would be measuring against. And it's a very normal human nature thing. There isn't a perfect index except one that you might have in your mind. How am I doing? I think I'm doing okay. And how you're doing really should be measured by this. Am I content? Am I pleased? Am I just plain old relaxed about my financial condition? My money, am I relaxed about it? I feel confident in the direction I'm going. Or do I dance around and pull my hair out and study the markets all the time? And I've got to check in. What's the market doing today? Which again, the market has nothing to do with you. Oh, the market can't go up because the Chinese want freedom. 
What? Oh, the market can't go down because oil went up. Or down or I don't know. Uh, 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 I don't know. Let me read something about why the market moved 0.01% today. Because you will. It never, they never say, the market moved 0.01% for nothing. Well, it didn't move. 0.01 is nothing. I know. But they have to always do what? Tell you why. And we're, again, chasing after the why, the measurement, the how am I doing thing. Instead, how you're doing is very, very, very centered to you and what your objectives are or should be. And, uh, you know, in the second hour today, I'm going to continue to talk about some of the basics, you know, 60-40 and all those other things that we all talked about and said hey, they're not working anymore and some say it's all blown up now and all that stuff. But interest rates have changed everything. Rising interest rates have changed a lot. And so it's time to come back to basics and rethink it and rethink the whole thought process of what portfolios ought to be looking like because it's changing. It's changed a lot in the last six months. Yeah, I know the bank doesn't pay you any interest, but you know what? You can get 4% everywhere, including CDs, short-term CDs, all over. Money markets are at 3.8 now. Money markets. They're back. Do I think you ought to put your money in money market? No, but it changes the mathematics of having all stocks now, doesn't it? So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about it in the next few weeks. i got to take a quick break right now. Our number is 580-KIDO. Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us. 580-5436-580-KIDO. It's Dave at PetsoFinancial.net. So, uh, um, oh, yeah, I think I think somebody sent me in another email this week. I, uh, I'll, look, I'll look at it uh, over the over the big break here at the top of the hour coming up. As I said, I want to talk about the you know, portfolio design and some of the basics. Again, back to basics at the end of the year. I think about this a lot. I really do. I, th- I spend a lot of time just pondering about why it is it, that, that sticking to basics seems so hard for us. And one day, being a young man, I understand by and large, young men have a hard time with that. We kind of want to go our own way sometimes, right? It's not like Marlboro Man type stuff, but it's just we want to get rich quick. We want to, you know, do all that stuff. And when you're young, you don't think about 30, 40-year periods of time until you kind of live 30 or 40-year periods of time as an adult. And then the time just evaporates. And you think about what it meant to put a couple of bucks away, how hard it was to put away for us to put away $20, $25 where I started. If I was going to tell people to put money away, that that's what they had to do was pay themselves first. I had to also do that. Problem was I made 15,000 my first year. That's hard with a family. That's super hard to make ends meet. But the first 25 had to go in the kitty. And I realized what that did also was it, it, it also made true what I was telling people. I was doing that too, yes. But I also found that it, the bills did get paid. And the bill of myself did too. 
And that principle stayed with me, and I've taught that principle for 40 years to other people. You don't have to start big, but you have to start. You have to start. And I I know there's, like, no 19-year-olds listening, but their parents and grandparents are. And a little push is sometimes all people need. Just start. It doesn't have to be big. And remember... Big happens even with a cup of coffee a day, five bucks a day. For 40 years, 1.2 million. I know you all are sick of hearing that, but I love it. We'll be back after Fox News for hour two. Hello, welcome, and thanks for joining us. As I always say, these are my opinions and my opinions only, and we're not here to tell you what to buy, 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 and sell, sell, sell. That's ridiculous. So anything we talk about, you shouldn't be taking, oh, boy, I think we ought to go do that. Don't know your circumstances individually and would never think that's the way to do it. When you think about it, there's so many different ways to look at a portfolio, right? I mean, it's it's full of all kinds of things. And, and, and I think over the next few weeks, I want to talk a little bit about, as I said, basics. Because you come back to these basics that putting a little bit of money away, staying out of debt, you're rich. It's really that easy. But somehow for people, it's really hard. No, I don't mean because they can't work and make enough money to put some money away. Not at all. It just seems hard. It's very unfortunate, but they don't teach markets anything about the free marketplace, capitalism. In school, I mean, it's like fundamentally the... One of the most important things you could teach, and we don't. It's so weird to me. So people come come out of this, and they don't understand the miracle of compound interest. Oh, somebody shows them a chart, and you know, it's, goes to the moon. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's pretty cool. They don't even know that they could open up an account and put $5 a day away, and it would grow to over a million dollars in 40 years, and they don't even know that. They don't even know how to do that at all. And nobody's showing them. It's hard. And so when we talk about basics, I know it's sometimes like, yeah, I already know. I know that dollar cost averaging thing. Do you? Do you really know how magic it is? I mean, like magic, magic. Has it, have, have you just like been floored? By how magic that is, that you are guaranteed to have an average price lower than the actual market over time. Like, that's magic. It's not like a thing. Yeah, 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 do that dollar cost averaging thing. Do it. It's magic. It's so magic, right? Compound interest. Magic. It's incredible. Son, come here. I got to show you this chart. You just can't believe it. It's so Unbelievable. We need to have that kind of enthusiasm because it is magic. It's so magic. So magic. And we talk about this. We talk about we thinking about stuff day to day, right? Like, what's the market doing now? What's the market doing today? The market's doing its thing today has nothing to do with what its thing is going to be the rest of your life. Well, I mean, should we 
change some things up. And that's what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. I mean, we've got opportunities now because interest rates are higher that we didn't have six months ago. Lots of them. I mean, amazing things. Where you couldn't own a bond for the last 10 years. Couldn't. Shouldn't. Guaranteed it wouldn't work. Not that interest rates were, were predicting were, that interest rates were going to go up this fast. No, you didn't have to. Buying a 1.5% 10-year treasury, which was earning below the rate of inflation, was never going to work. But we cling to, we cling to like, it's a 60-40 portfolio and you have a 90% chance of success if you draw 4% cost of living adjusted out the rest of your life. No, you don't. Not when interest rates are 1.5% and you put 40% there. Your chances of success are zero. I don't care if you went to the Chicago University of Chicago Economics School. You're dumb. You can't be taught something new. That The conditions have changed. You are stuck. You never learn. Now, that, to me, that's a definition of dumb. Is I never will change my mind about anything, no matter what the conditions are. Oh, okay. But, uh, oh, I see. But you are a PhD. I would call that PhD in stupid. We all have to change. And the world is dynamic. Think about that. Imagine, like, somebody like Einstein or better, better, better than that, Edison. Edison. Thomas Edison comes into the world with all of the available things. He says, no, I'm not going to use all this new stuff. No, computers. Give me a slide roll. Give me my old lab back. I'm just going to do it the old way. See what stuff I can come up with. No, never. No. Everybody changes in every field all the way. But when we get into the markets, so often people don't look at like what's right in front of them. Oh, if I put 40% of my portfolio in something earning less than the rate of inflation, how is that going to succeed? It won't. You're right, period. Let's do something different. No, we can't do that because that would upset our Monte Carlo simulations. That would upset what I know to be true because, remember, I am a Ph.D. economist from the University of Chicago. I run J.P. Morgan's Goldman Sachs fill-in-the-blank global strategist. This is the way we do it. And they did for all this time. Now, get this. I am at the Schwab conference, right? Whatever, three weeks ago, a month ago, whatever it was. No, it's a month ago. And here is what they're saying. The 60-40 model is broken. And I go, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm one of those guys. I'm in the front row. So I put my hand up when it's question, Q&A, question and answer time. Yeah, it seems to me like, and I, I really would like to get your feedback on this, and I'm not just making a statement here. It seems to me like the 60-40 was broken, and, of course, it hasn't worked at all this year because bonds have been crushed as much as stocks. But in the process of crushing those bonds, interest rates are much higher. It seems to me that the 60-40 was broken for 10 years, and now we maybe want to reassess what is going on forward. Guess what? Oh, yeah, you know, uh, rates are higher and, you know, yada, yada. Three giant, brilliant brains 
None of them. They're stuck on it's broken because it's just had a really bad year. They were never stuck that it was broken because it can't work. Because rates were too low. Never. Never. In fairness, some folks, and there was a white paper that J.P. Morgan put out a few years back. Not, not, not 10 years by any stretch, but, you know, a couple years ago. The 60-40 model is broken. About time. Of course it was. You can't put money away in something that's going to lose to inflation every year. Simply can't. So we have the circumstance where things are changing, and we'll dive into this more and more and more in the weeks ahead. But we now have even cash-like things. U.S. government floating rate mortgages that trade every single day. So they have daily liquidity, 4.25%. Whoa. And I just said a mouthful. You may be going, I don't even know what he just said. It's okay. Just understand this. If rates go higher, you get to get paid more. Not like a fixed bond. Money markets, so 3.8. 3.8 today. But people are holding money in their cash at the bank earning zero. Well, I like that FDIC insurance. Better than the U.S. government? Okay. I think it's the same people that, but uh, okay. You know what you know. What's your CD rate? Hmm. Four and up now for one year and less. I don't know why anybody would do that. If you have daily liquidity, it's actually yielding as much, but I'm good. I'm not here to argue. I'm here to say things have changed. Things have changed. And I was also saying, same reason you can't do annuities right now. Not fixed annuities. Can't do them. They have a long tail. They're still stuck with portfolio durations and low interest rates on them. These insurance companies are. But that's not true in the ever-present market. The right-now market, where with volatility and higher interest rates, hedges. Well, what is, what is a hedge? Well, if the market goes down, maybe 10% or 20%, whatever number you want to pick, you don't lose. What? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Couldn't do that a year ago. You could do it, but you, you'd give up so much upside, just like the, the BS on the equity index annuities. Yeah, you can. No market risk. You get all the upside. Yep, sure, pal. Yep, you do. You don't. But what you're giving up now is very little. Why? Because interest rates are higher and there's volatility. People can do hedges that they couldn't do a year ago. So the world's changing. And so when we get back to this, and I'm not saying you go to a 60-40 portfolio. No, I'm not saying that you go right to that. But what I am saying is we need to reassess because, as you've heard me say, for the last 10 years, you can't own bonds. You can't own bonds in a zero interest rate environment. You can't. So you don't. Or you have to have floating rates. You have to do all those things that are going to finally give you some, some higher rate. Or you own junk bonds, which did fine. But that's equity-like. That's stock-like. Things are changing. And that's the exciting part. So thinking back to the basics. Owning some bonds, owning some stocks, having dividends coming in. It really works. It always did. 
But we went through a period where you couldn't own fixed income of any kind. That period is ending. So we reassess. We don't get stuck. Oh, I only like stocks. That's it. Yeah, I do like stocks better than everything else. They've always performed better than everything else. But bonds have a part in a portfolio if you have shorter time frames. If you can beat the rate of inflation. If and only if. And that's not all the time. So we really have to be thinking about this and planning for it, okay? All right, let's go ahead and grab a very patient caller here before we head to our first break. Oh, i got to get my headphones on. I know, I know, I know. Gary, thanks for holding. Go ahead, please. Oh, good morning, David. Uh, one of the things that uh, struck a, a note with me when you were talking about the, the media always trying to find an excuse uh, there's another aspect of that, too, and uh, most high school uh, students will learn it. It's called significant figures, you know, where you have data, and that data is limited. There's a certain amount of error, but then again, you run it through a calculator, and you can quote eight significant figures, and you think you're uh, intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this in um, you know, boat racing, and I see it in um, car racing, where somebody in a time trial goes around the track, and the announcer with a straight face says the time uh, was an average of 1.24123 miles per hour. And, you know, those last uh, two or three figures are essentially useless. You're seeing the same thing in the financial media where they will take, you know, the let's say the S&P goes up and down four points, you know, and, oh, that's a big deal. And it's like uh, one-tenth of one percent at current levels. So it, it's kind of funny watching these guys. Uh, you know, any engineer or scientist who's gone through this type of stuff just kind of rolls their eyes when they try to, impart the idea that they're of expertise, precision, when actually they have none. Right, right. You know, you think about that even like in sports, right, too, because you see it all the time This in football. This is the first time this has ever happened. Like, what? They sift through so much data that they figure out it's the first time during the third quarter that somebody threw two <laughs> passes in a row like that. I mean, it's like, wow, yeah. this is a completely meaningless statistic in the end. Yeah, and within two weeks of a solar eclipse, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So we parse that down. Now, here's where it gets dangerous, though, because you bring up a really good point. This is where it gets really dangerous. And I've talked about this a lot, uh, I, I, and I, I still keep this in my little, you know, if you will, it's folder that I kind of bring in, and it, it's all tattered now. But it has little data points on, on, the, on the market. And so one of the things that you have to understand is, for example, we, we talk about the stock market over long periods of time. But you see, the Dow during the 1970s gained a whopping 38 points. Nothing. I mean, it didn't gain at all. And that's the same thing with the lost decade for stocks, right? 2010 to 20, where we had two, you know, really 50% drops. So if you measure certain periods, it's terrible. But if we go over a long period of time, it's always what? It's 10%. It's 10%. And it's also one of those things, too, that we gain so much more in the market over long periods of time with that compounding. But if you measure from certain periods, you can find periods, for example, that gold has outperformed the stock market. But not on a long chart. There's no, you know, it's not even close. Not even a foot race, right? There's, they're, they're on different planets. You can find, and data is parsed by so many people, in so many ways, and, and, and the other one where it gets dangerous is when people show charts of how we're, we're, we're in a pending doom for paying back, let's say, for car loans going bad. 
Like, oh my gosh, car loans are going bad. Yeah, there's, and then they show this chart, you know, just collapsing, or if you want, spiking because of delinquencies, right? So, so you get this chart. And then you take a step back, you go, well, what, what is that in the context of like all consumer debt? Well, consumer debt actually looks really good out there. So we take uh, these little numbers to make whatever point we want when the big picture is not even true at all. Go ahead. Yeah, in fact, uh, Basil Tereleshkov has said, if you torture the numbers enough, they will tell you whatever you want to hear. Exactly. Great. Well said. I like that. I like that. Yes, that's true. Who is true. the uh, economist that you quoted? Um, uh, when the, the facts change, um, I change my mind. What do you do? Oh. Was that Keynes? Was that uh, Maynard Keynes? I don't know. Hang on. I'll see if I, I I'll tell you what. When we come back out, I'll I'll see if I can find <laughs> that. Right. I may right. have well, it in my program. my treasure trove of stuff here. Okay. Uh, okay Gary, thanks, thanks for the call. Appreciate you participating today. Our number is 580-5436-580 KIDO. And our it's also Dave at petzelfinancial.net. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome and thank you for joining us. 580-5436-580 KIDO. Uh, okay, so there's argument of who actually said that. Um is uh, possibly the economist Paul Samuelson. It could have been Keynes. It might even have been because it was quoted. This is what I thought. I thought it was a politician, Winston Churchill. So it has been said by many and probably will be repeated by many more as the years go by because it is true. We need to be able to change our minds. We need to be able to change our minds. We have to. We can't be stuck or afraid to say, do you know what? It was a bad idea to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Let's open it up. world has changed. And you'd be a hero. So, oh, well, no, I wouldn't be heroic to the, to the greenies on the, this side of the aisle. Well, yeah, it would. You couple that with continued uh, uh, money thrown at uh, your green projects. It's not one or the other. It's both. We had a brilliant. Um, we haven't got it cleaned up yet for uh, YouTube, so it'll be there probably next week. Uh, cleaned up, I mean, because it's well over an hour. So we're going to tighten it up a little bit. But nobody left the call. It was just too good. Jim Murchie is his name. And uh, um, he, he is just understands energy and, and the way I, I've never met anybody like him. I, I learn something every time I listen to him, and I've listened to him over and over for years. As he talks about energy and the production and the facts of it, not in fact, this was wonderful, too, because it's like, my my sweet wife was listening, and this is this is not just her. Multiple comments about this. It's like, at first I thought he was like a super liberal, but by the end I I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell at all. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. You don't know, because he's agnostic about that. It's not, well, the right's policies are good, the lefts are bad, and it's not none of that. It's just like this is the facts. This is what works. What doesn't work. These are the facts of where we are. Breaks it down into this, this in many different ways, okay? But one of the facts of it is this. No matter what you do, 
it's going to be somewhere around 2035 before we start using less oil in the world. Period. You just can't. Even if we run these charts at what no, nobody's example would be of how many electric cars we can create. Nobody's example of what the grid could handle. You still are going to have globally X number of trucks, X number of cars on the road. Even if we run this, have a run rate of new cars and trucks running on electricity that nobody believes is even remotely possible. We still don't peak till 2035. We are going to continue to need energy, period. This is not uh, green versus not. And it's, it's a really important thing for all of us to, to, to think about. Not, not making this a political thing. Let's make it a human thing. We've got to be able to change our minds about things. And I think that's just a classic example. I mean, okay, everybody uses Bill Clinton. He turned, turned around and pivoted in the middle because he thought, well, I kind of dig being president. I'm done if I don't get along, if I don't change my mind, that raising taxes and regulations is just not where America, American people want to be because they just swept the House for the first time in 40 years. I think I'll pivot. There's no shame in that. That's politician. How about when the facts actually change? <laughs> we all need to pivot. And that's what I'm getting at on this whole pivoting and changing and thinking. It doesn't change the basics of how you build a portfolio and think about it in a common sense way of what is it I'm trying to accomplish. If, for example, you were earning zero on cash and now you're not, that changes the mathematics, doesn't it? See, I don't have a problem now saying, oh, so let's put a couple of years worth of income aside so no matter what the market does, I'm not selling down. Because now I'm getting 4% on that. And now I'm able to put hedges in a portfolio that I couldn't put in before. So if the market goes down 10%, my clients don't lose anything. That's a good feeling because then I know that money is available in a year to use for income, as an example. That wasn't available before. Or my gains were capped, so I don't use it. Because of volatility now, there are things out there that are getting, when you, do, when you write options, and they're available in exchange-traded funds for very little cost. I mean, like 0.18% that are actually yielding more than 10% now. Why? Because of volatility. Oh. But they, but they don't usually do that. So, so when volatility goes away, you can't do that because now they'll be earning six or eight. Yeah, I'd rather have 12. Now, the, none of that stuff comes for free, but my point is, is as things change, conditions change, we need to change too. What do you do when the facts change? Well, I stick with a 60-40 portfolio. Now, back to that. That's a stunning thing to me. It has been for a long time. You know that. I remark about it all the time. And you know, one of the fun things for me, I, I know it sounds really super exciting to most people, is having a nice dinner, a nice glass of wine, and having a really deep discussion with portfolio theorists on 
the markets and retirement income planning in retirement. Some of the funnest conversations I've ever had are like that exactly. And they can go for hours. No, you can't do 60-40. You can't do that. And, and people are get a little heated. I, 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 I'm passionate about it, and I love passionate people that want to argue about it. Or t- not argue, but talk about it. It's fun. I know, really geeky. But those are great conversations to have with passionate, intelligent people who are willing to have a discussion, not be stuck on something. And so as these things are changing, I love the, if you will, the brain drain. Actually, it's a brain feed that you're just thinking about how to build a portfolio. And now in an exciting, different way, you can take so much risk out of a portfolio now and have the same return expectations that we didn't have a year ago. It's stunning. It's stunning how much things have changed in that period of time. Of course, it causes dislocations. And people are like, ooh, I thought it was used to the world at zero. Yeah, okay, and corporations got used to it. We all got used to it, being all equities and all that. And that's good. That was the best decision ever. Last 10 years, owning nothing but stocks, great decision. Fantastic. Absolutely. Not every stock went up, but the market did. A lot. Great decision. Now where are we is the question. Not that's the best decision forever. We are changing because we can and we should. And as we think about all these different things and what hedges are available, the fact that you get paid a little bit on cash now, so it's not a zero drain with 20% of your portfolio if you want five years worth of income set aside, it's not a zero anymore. Things are changing. And then this exchange-traded fund world, we get a lot of new stuff coming up. Option writing things. All these things that are just fantastic out there to the average investor. Incredible. Incredible opportunities. So as we change, we all want to be flexible. Changing. Change is good. It's okay. So even as we age, we know what things are right. And we know the basics are true. Buy stocks. Put them away. Don't trade too much. All of that is true especially the dividend payers. Buy the dividend raisers. Those are the best stocks, the lowest risk. Absolutely, core of the portfolio. Doesn't change. So as we talk about that, we also have to recognize what lays over top of all of that is the ground conditions are changing or have changed, and we need to change with them and not be stuck in making statements like 60-40 is broke. It broke. What we're talking about is the future now. I'm not saying 60-40 is right. I'm not saying that at all. But we're closer to it being right than we were when everybody was saying it wasn't broke. Does that make sense? All right. We're going to take a quick break here. Fox News is next. And then on the other side, hopefully you at 580-KIDO. Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us. 580-5436-580-KIDO. Also, it's Dave at PetzoFinancial.net, if you prefer. Uh, and I have one right now, so let's go ahead and start right there. Dave, I know what you say, but is an annuity ever okay? A local bank is offering me one for the 100000 that I have left to invest after selling my rental. The tax-deferred growth annuity offers five years interest at 5%. I can use 10% per year with no penalty. Shorter terms pay less interest. 
I'm 76 and debt-free, so is there any advantage in this scheme? By the way, I had an appointment to see one of your colleagues. Da-da-da-da, and canceled a few months ago. Okay, all right. Keep listening. Okay, and you also have a portfolio. Okay, I think that's it. Okay, thank you. And thank you for, the, for, for detailing this so well. Okay, so what we've got here is, number one, you're tying your money up for five years at 5%. If you really, otherwise there's penalties unless you want to just take out 10% a year. So if rates go higher, then you're simply stuck at five. Considering that five-year CDs are easier to get to, typically with a three-month penalty of interest, and you can get five plus in a, in a CD, I don't know why you would do it in an, in an annuity. You can't get it at that bank. I understand that. But you sure can out there. And I saw that you said you had an E-Trade account. They also would have CDs as well as the ones we have with Schwab. Now, again, I'm not saying you should do that because I don't. this is only one snippet of saying, oh, go get a CD instead of the annuity. I want you to have the liquidity to move. I don't think it's an all or none. So if you want to build a portfolio, you build a portfolio. You can have 10000 in this and fifteen in that and put some in a mutual fund for growth. Altogether, it depends on what your needs are. It's not a one-product solution in my mind. It's building a portfolio. So I'm not saying you should not have a CD, not have any in an annuity. I don't think you should have any in an annuity right now. I'm really glad you brought this up. Because of the duration these insurance companies have, they are not offering as higher rates and won't, as the markets will. So stay with the markets, meaning CDs, if that's what you want. You're going to get higher rates, and you have more flexibility with them. So I I know you like that idea of tax deferral, but you're deferring a tax problem, so be careful with that. You may not want to do that. You may really want to go ahead and pay some taxes now at a low bracket instead of building it up so you have a really high taxable gain in the long run. Maybe you want to take some income out now. These are discussions you should be having, not, I have a product, the perfect solution over here is this annuity. It is not. Putting all of your money in an annuity, to me, makes zero sense because you said you only had 30000 other dollars in there, and I don't know how that's invested either. Listen, there's a lot of different things that go into that. I think you, have, you would be much better served in actually building a portfolio to your needs than to be thinking about, well, what is the solution? The solution is a portfolio that fits your needs. You may not have $2 million. That's okay. It doesn't mean that you can't proportion it better. 20000 here, twenty five in that mutual fund over there, some ETFs, and you're off and running. And it's generating income that you can live on now and in the future. That's why. Don't tie it up in a fixed annuity. It's not going to beat inflation. It won't. And you need to. You need to for five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 and 20 years from now. You may not make it to 125, but chances are pretty good if you're in your 70s, you're going to make it into your 90s. They're really good. And it's going to cost a lot more to live. We want that portfolio to grow. Not growth stocks, but grow faster than the rate of inflation and even maybe pull some income off of it. It doesn't matter the size. You just add zeros when you get in the millions. That's all. That's all. 
But if you want to take out a couple hundred bucks a month, make your life a little easier right now, why don't we do that? Right? Take out a few hundred. Live them. And it's still growing to keep up with inflation. So that when you need another $100 to live the same, you can do it. That's what I would do. Okay? So thank you for the email. And if there is any fault, give us a call. Okay? And probably to your second question, we were not taking new clients for a while. Um, to your second point, we are now. We, just, we, we had a big hole when Erica left uh, and went back east. Uh, she was, you know, working with a lot of folks, and we just felt like it was most important to not take on new clients but to service the existing ones we had. So we did for a while. But we've got Mike up and running now and doing a great job. So, um, it, you know, it's just it just took time to fill that gap. So there you go. All right, and our number here is 580-5436-580-KIDO. It's Dave at PetzoFinancial.net. Back to... Before we take our break here, I, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this for, for our final segment, okay? Because there is something else that I wanted to, to, to talk about here. It's not just to make fun of this. It's, it's an important point of what we see in our world, and I think we're hitting that tipping point of absurdity. And that is this whole FTX thing. Okay, Sam Bankman freed or whatever, you know, holier than thou, doesn't really want to make any money, but he loves, you know, creating Ponzi schemes for you. He doesn't really want money, he just wants to be able to give it away. And he gave the money away, at least politically, to the correct people. So the press isn't shellacking him. <laughs> They're really not. This week, the New York Times had a symposium with Sorkin, who is like, you know, CNBC's main guy, wrote a best-selling book. He's a superhuman liberal on CNBC, business channel. And he's the one, Andrew Sorkin, is holding the conference. I, 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 I can't understand why they have this criminal on, but they do. And all these woker-than-woke people in the audience from New York, holy people, super smart, are all laughing and enjoying Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried from the Bahamas and the billions of dollars that he wiped out of other people's money. And I couldn't help but notice and think, are you kidding me? This is the New York Times. I know they're, they're, a, they're a total hack fraud of a newspaper. But CNBC is one of their rock star reporters. I don't care how liberal you are. I don't care how much millions, tens of millions, Freed gave to Democrats running for office. He's a crook. And to give him... A stage is unbelievable. It led me to be thinking about two things. One, when you look at this holier-than-thou, woker-than-woke audience, they're whiter-than-white, these woke people are. I never really care much about what an audience looks like, but when they're telling people how woke they are, and that's the audience, it just makes me my head explode. 
but putting criminals on and parading them around to make excuses for what happened is beyond the pale. And this is the major dominant business channel. This has got to be the peak of cover-up. So I think also that there, there's a potential here that the SEC, the head of the SEC, and then it circles back to the commodities chief, the chairman of the commodities, in other words, the, the, who have been talking about, no, we, we cover cyber, the SEC is saying we cover this, the uh, cyber currency, the CFTC, Commodities has been saying that they are. And their chair, get this, this is just unbelievable to me. Actually, this week, big, big headline says they're calling for more oversight of cryptocurrencies. Wow. Just in the nick of time, huh? That's like we're calling for lower speed limits right after or putting a stop sign here. After 100,000 people have died. We're calling for more regulation on this intersection. Really? Not after one death. After hundreds of thousands. This is unbelievable. The lack of oversight is to the point of these are the right people giving the right donations. It smells of corruption. It reeks of corruption. I think that as we get into more and more of these things, this wokeness, ESG, all the other things out there that if you're saying the right things, it's all good, that it's peaking because it reeks. It just is terrible and terrible oversight by terrible people. And it now is coming out in the public, and, 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 and they just can't cover this up. So I do think we're at a tipping point where we're going to see some more regulation of clowns like this and people actually thinking they can cover up this nonsense. It's, it's just not possible. It's too much money. It's too much money to cover up. It's too terrible a job by the regulators to cover that up. All right, when we come back, we're going to finish up with some more of the 60-40 and hopefully taking your calls or your emails. Dave at PetzalFinancial.net, 580-KIDO. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome, and thank you again for joining us. Hey, any comments, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, It's great. And again, look for, uh, on our YouTube channel, I mention this periodically, We've got a lot of other YouTubes on there, but we had a, this great Zoom meeting. We'll get it, like I said, we're going to try to get it tightened up without losing um, the the core of of, of his presentation. Um, we're just going to try to, t- t- probably to only get 10 minutes off. I think it's what I'm trying to get at is so worth. It, that's, that's just my opinion. I mean, I'm telling you that everybody who watched this thought it was the best unbiased information they've ever had nothing even close to understanding as well in fact i've had people come back and say i got i gotta tell me when that's on there because i want to watch it again i felt the same way the first time and the second time i listened to him 
because it is unfiltered. It is different. People have their own bias. I do too. And 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 and, and so does he. But he just consumes you, overwhelms you with just the facts of what's going on. It's fantastic. So look for it out there on YouTube and get to that information on our website. We also have podcasts as well. And um, we would love to have your commentary as well. So shoot us an email. What do you want to talk about? All right. Again, back to basics a little bit here as we conclude today's lessons on the markets. And unfortunately, I will just let you know that the United States did lose to the Netherlands. So it's over. Don't even have to look for it. Uh, hopefully, I didn't just become a spoiler that you're running around, but I don't know how you're going to have gotten away with not knowing that by the end of today, uh, if you were waiting for it tonight. Now, when the market goes down by 25% or more, and it did, this is what the market does over the following one year, three year, and five year, and 10 year. Yes, over the long haul, it's always positive. Yes, it's positive by a lot, almost all the time. And on average, it is an enormous gain of 27% over the next 12 months, 45% over the next three years, 100% over the next five years, 238% on average over the next 10. That's just a simple fact. When the market goes down 25, don't be upset. It happens. It's certain to occur over and over again all the days of our life. It happens. But from here is all we can do. Not react to what happened. And that's, again, back to the 60-40. That's what everybody is doing. They reacted now to the simple fact that they got crushed owning bonds. (gasps) Oh, I thought they were supposed to be less risky than stocks. And when stocks go down, they, they go up. And so it's all good except when you're at 1.5% interest rates and rates rise. Like inevitably they're going to, but even if they didn't ever rise, you're never going to win at 1.5%. You can't. And things change. And so as we're thinking about this and moving forward about it, we're at minus 25 on the market. We've already been there. Now we're coming back a little bit. We're down 15 or so now. I don't know if we're going back to 25, but from 25 down, which was two months ago when everybody, all the smart people drew on the graph. Remember me talking about this? All the smart people said, well, you know, the average PE is 16.5. And so we're right here. Earnings, we think are going to be down 10%. So there it is. And over the last 20 years, actually for about nine days, the market has actually traded at 16.5 PE. I'm not joking. This is what people come out and teach us. That this is what's going to happen, and it's not going to happen that way. But we have got to be thinking about this, and we're going to keep talking about this for the next few weeks. I hope you're going to stick around and enjoy it. I enjoy going back to the basics, and we're going to keep doing it. In the meantime, have a great weekend. I appreciate you very much. Shoot us an email. Tell us what you want to talk about, and have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in.